Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome back to Tag Team, the Pokemon trading card games from your podcasting duo. My name is Riley Holbrook, joined, as always, by my good, good friend, Mr. J.W. Crewall. J.W., how's it going today? Pretty good, Riley. Last week was a blast. It was, man. You want to expand on why that was? Well, somebody got their world's invite. That's right. Mr. J.W. Kriwal is now invited. I almost got his invitation and mixed that up altogether. Invited (laughs) to the Pokemon World Championships in London this August. How does it feel? It feels great. Competitor. Yeah, it feels really great. I just booked my flight as well. Got a pretty good deal out of New York City, so going to be going over there and competing and winning, of course. Of course. Yeah. How many worlds they do you have? Well, this will be my first one. <laughs> <laughs> That's so sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the actual tournament hasn't been the best, but I'm just excited to compete once again, and it feels like uh, it's been that just that cap off to really when i look back at it a, a pretty successful season like i got points oh I believe, yeah i believe at every regional that i went to i i got points i can't and maybe there was one that i didn't but i can't think of a regional i went to i think three this year um three or four that uh, i didn't get points at so that's cool and just to cap it off without even having to worry about a finish at naic is just just fine with me this week has been low stress which has been good because there's just so many things to do we had an event to plan tonight Ann and i are going out for our anniversary dinner tomorrow um you know obviously having a baby throws a bunch of you know complications into the mix so i'm just really excited that i didn't have to stress this week about testing and what deck i'm gonna play and i mean there's still some of that certainly but it could have been way worse sure for sure. And, yeah, I wish and, I knew what that felt like. Well, I was going to say, you're very close as well to your invite. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up just 30 points short after Milwaukee from my World's Invite. One more win would have gotten me 30 more points to get a World's Invite, but things happen. One more coin flip would have gotten you well, a World's Invite. Well, who knows? I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe there is a stadium in hand before the cram of adding. Mm. <laughs> you never know you, i don't technically know i'm just making the very fair assumption that that's the case yeah so for those that don't know what we're talking about riley did uh, achieve a top eight finish at the milwaukee regional championships we were very proud of him and we're really disappointed i, I mean i was you know i thought we had the best deck in the room and we'll go over why in just a second but I, I was just disappointed for you because, you know, I, I thought that the run shouldn't have stopped in top eight. Um, I I was hoping that you wouldn't get another regional win so that, you know, I myself can be the only one in the group with a with a regional win and or two regional wins, I should say. And, uh, you know, I can I can kind of keep that as as my my chip over the rest of the group. You know, sure. you've got to keep that ego uh, enlarged as much as possible. But all that to say, I thought that you know, you played fantastically, had a really nice run, and I wish you had gone just a little bit farther. Well, me too, but I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you can't complain about a top eight at a regional championship, at least too much. You can complain a little bit, but not too much. <laughs> so you got 100 points for uh, towards your world's invite, and then 
you you're only 30 points short so sadly if you had just won your top eight matchup you would have also gotten the invite in milwaukee but Correct. now you'll need a top 256 at the naic this week in columbus yeah it's funny too because like as soon as i made day two i was guaranteed to only need a top 256 uh at um naic unless i got top four or better and the fact that i was so close (laughs) to getting top four or better really like stung you know yeah because it's like you know you're going in and if you had just told yourself before the tournament okay yeah you're gonna get you know a day two finish you're gonna get top 64 you would have been like oh nice okay i don't really need that much at uh at you know in columbus to to get my invite and you would have been totally cool with it but the fact that it went so far and to come up just short just like is so painful so (laughs) so we played palkia intellion and we played i mean it was a standard list but there were some things that were a little bit um unique about the list i would say one of the most unique things was that we played three stadiums instead of the kind of standardized two most players are playing one path of the peak one um, Temple of Sinnoh, and we opted to go for one Path of the Peak to Temple of Sinnoh. Riley, can you kind of walk through why we opted to do that in our Palkia list? Yeah, and I would say that's not the only thing that's necessarily unique about the list, um, especially as we've seen Palkia evolve, but certainly the three stadiums is non-standard. The primary reason that we opted for three is we really wanted to be able to consistently be able to bump an opponent's path to the peak to be able to star portal. Um, we just thought the star portal ability was such huge value and to be able to use it early made such a big difference over the flow of your games that it was worthwhile to consider adding another stadium. Temple of Sinnoh was just a solid choice for that slot. You know, it disrupted the Regis. It gave you two temples versus the Regi matchup, which is very good. It disrupts Mew forces them to burn stadiums in the early games. That way, when you're trying to use path in the late game, that is more likely to stick. Overall, just like a really solid choice for that last slot. I really enjoyed having the two Temple of Sinnoh. Um, I not only got a lot of value out of just the temple effect itself, but I did use it quite often to bump path to the peak so I could use my ability more reliably. Um, So I was really happy with that choice for that last card. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that I think was a little bit more interesting about our list was that we opted not to play any Arita, instead choosing to play two Melanie, two Professor's Research, and Amarni as our primary sources of draw, along, of course, with the Inteleon engine to just fetch out anything that we needed from the deck. So I felt like a lot of players are playing their Arita, and at the end of the day, we tested it really didn't like how slow arita was especially in that early game when you're trying to get your basics out of course you can always arita for battle vip pass but that's not really an option if you happen to go first and then the battle vip pass if you're playing you know especially more than one is just going to clog the deck towards the end of the game so it just didn't feel like the move for our palkia list to to go with the arita instead just opting like we did with the uh, whimsicott deck for indianapolis just going in with more research and being able to dig through the deck to find the pieces that we needed yeah it's funny that you bring up the whimsicott deck because it's totally the same logic and i never really even thought of it necessarily that way but yeah having that like consistent powerful draw engine makes a big difference over the course of a tournament um and something i really personally enjoyed you saw 
most people at this point have now opted for a heavy Arita engine, talking three to four Arita in many of the Palkia decks. Um, but there were two main testing groups that kind of dissented away from that mentality. There was us, and there was Isaiah Bradner, uh, Rahul Reddy, and all of them who played also a you know more draw supporter heavy Palkia list with zero Arita. Uh, their list is obviously a significant departure from ours in terms of its overall structure, but clearly there are multiple people who've reached that same conclusion of, you know, Arita doesn't really do anything. And my personal experience was that being able to have that explosive draw power made a big difference in the success of my games. I had a lot of, like, really crazy turn twos mm -hmm. that I would not have been able to reach if I didn't have research as a mm -hmm. as an option especially like a higher count where i'm starting it in my hands uh, more often so i really liked that i could go from like one pokemon on the bench to a full bench and swing for a knockout all the time yeah. <laughs> especially when we also include the crowbat that we threw into the deck you know you can draw so many cards in a turn and arena just does not give you that sort of explosive power right exactly i completely echo when you say that the research um, was just the best draw supporter to have in the in the deck, right? Because you're going to get your energy back with the Palkia, so you don't even need to hit your Melanie on the first turn. Um, you don't really need to hit your Capacious Bucket on that first turn. You have a couple of turns to get that energy in the discard pile because you can just shove it right back into play with the Palkia V-Star power. So it felt so good anytime I just raw opened a research. Obviously, you can get a Sobble out and then go for a Drizzile and get the research that way. But just any time I was going second, had research in my hand, it just felt so strong because I would often draw a Sobble or two, a level ball or two, maybe a quick ball, and just be able to fill my bench up really without you know, needing to play that arena and kind of just feeling uh, like my hand was stuck at points. So it just felt so, so good uh, to play the research. And I would really recommend if you are listening to this cast and you still have time to test with your Palkia deck to try to uh, play it that way. Yeah, totally agree. It, the power level felt insane with the Palkia deck. It definitely felt like the best deck that I have played at a tournament this season. I don't know if you feel quite the same, JW, but mm -hmm. especially in like the post-COVID mm -hmm. season, uh, the Palkia deck far and away felt like the strongest deck. Yeah, so I think what would be important for listeners to hear is why we actually decided on the Palkia deck and what were some of the other things that we were thinking about heading into Milwaukee. Because obviously we're only a week away, right? It's only a week's difference between Milwaukee and NAIC. So I think a lot of that same logic for the most part, still applies. Obviously, we have a little bit more of a defined metagame. We know a little bit more that, okay, yeah, people should take Miltank seriously. Okay, yeah, people should take Duraludon seriously. But for the most part, you know, we came to this conclusion on the Palkia deck, and I would say largely it did, you know, very well um, amongst the group. I mean, we had some some duds here and there, but amongst the group did, did uh, relatively well. So what... What, why did we choose Palkia, and what were some of the other things that we were thinking about heading into Milwaukee? Why don't you walk us through that? Yeah, when I think of Palkia, it it's a classic, you know, just play the best deck type scenario. And this happens all the time at tournaments, is sometimes the best option is just playing the top dog and beating everything else down with it, either because the counters aren't good enough, they're not played enough, or... Um, just the power level of that deck is so overwhelming that it doesn't really matter. 
And Palkia is definitely kind of in that ladder bucket where it can kind of just run its way through a lot of decks, even the ones that are designed to beat it, particularly because the lightning Pokemon are not very strong. We had tried a, a bunch of other things heading into Milwaukee. You know, a lot of Mew testing had gone down, in particular from I, at least yourself and me in the group, and it, that was okay. It was a solid backup choice. We tested a lot of Reggie, and that deck was appealing on some days and horrible on others, so that vibe was like really not there, and we ended up not going with Reggie. Um, and, you know, the more we just talked about it, it just made sense to just play Palkia. You know, the Lightning Pokemon were not good enough. Palkia could just tear through them. Palkia was consistently beating Mew and beating all these other counter decks that we had tried and testing. So at that point, why not just roll up with the best deck? Yeah, absolutely. And we knew we would face a number of mirror matches. Riley, how many Palkia decks did you face over the course of the tournament? Because my number is actually incredible. I actually only played one other Palkia-based deck, and it was not a Palkia Inteleon deck. So, <laughs> uh, one. I played in 14 rounds, including our ID. I played seven Palkias. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that is seven pretty Palkias. crazy. That is so, pretty crazy. Not as crazy as me playing seven Dark Arceus in day one of EYC. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty wild. Yeah, for sure. Um, but needless to say, other people were certainly hip to Palkia. I did find through the course of the day that a lot of people either didn't have the techs for the mirror match or just didn't quite know how to play the mirror match. And yeah. that was a big thing. Um for for me winning is uh, my matches against Palkia. I ended up uh, going, I think, undefeated against Palkia in the in day one, and then I had some pretty awkward game threes in day two against Tord and against uh, Fabian Pool. Mm. So you know, I mean, great players, obviously, and uh, you know, played the matchup very well. Um, and so I would say one of the things for the mirror, the Palkia mirror that I used. Pretty much every set, like probably the most impactful card. We talked a lot about Roxanne and how good Palkia is using Roxanne, but I would say this card was actually more impactful than Roxanne. Like, to be honest, I won more of my games with Leon than I did with Roxanne. I played Leon, like, I think literally every set, not every game, of course, but but every set, there was one pivotal turn where I was like, okay, if I can fill my bench, if I can get my Leon, if I can get my choice belt, I can take this knockout and swing the match. And that happened very consistently, especially in the Palkia matchup. So yeah. I see these Palkia decks that aren't playing Leon, and maybe that's just because, okay, they have to devote more resources to this Arita engine. But Leon far and away felt like the best tech card in my list, and I needed it for mirrors. I needed it for the Mew matchup. I needed it against Arceus. I mean, there really wasn't a time uh, over the course of the day that I was unhappy to see Leon in my hand. Yeah, Leon is crazy good. I totally agree. I, I always enjoyed using it. I used it in, to defeat all sorts of Pokemon that... You know, they're expecting to tank a hit for a turn, and you just whip out that extra 30 damage. Just so hard to even play around it at that point, especially if you also have a quick shooting in play. 
uh, you just the the damage numbers ramp up so fast, and it really overwhelms your opponent. I also, you know, to that end, not everybody has been playing quick shooting, and that has also been a card that I really enjoyed over the course of the days. Didn't use it every single game, but the games I used it, it was super important to my success. Absolutely. So, so one other thing that I want to bring up about this, about your run in, in particular, is you said that you played a lightning deck or a lightning base deck or a deck that had a lightning attacker every other round just about in milwaukee yeah. it seemed like a lot of people were not only prepared to play palkia but to counter palkia you had a very favorable record against those decks i think not dropping any games if i'm remembering correctly uh which is really incredible you would come back to the table and talk to me about the matchups and i was just kind of blown away by oh yeah and i smoked this arceus pikachu 2-0 <laughs> and it just seemed like effortless you know <laughs> Um, and, and it was really, really impressive. I would have loved to see these matches and see the, how they played out. And I was like picking your brain a lot on like, okay, how do I play against the Pikachu matchup? So walk us through a little bit about why you felt the lightning counters, um, really don't counter Palkia all that well. And just give us your experience playing against any lightning based decks with the Palkia deck. Yeah, I would say there's three main Pokemon that people are including in their decks to try and counter Palkia. Uh, certainly there may be others, but the ones that I was seeing around Milwaukee was Zerora, the, the basic one, the Raikou V, and the Flying Pikachu VMAX. And those are really the three Pokemon I think of that people are trying to swap into their decks. The Zerora honestly is not very good. You know, we played the Tool Jammer, and that is really shuts down the Zerora's only way to take an a one shot and at that point you know why is it even in the deck type situation mm -hmm. in addition well, to the fact it needs to be raihan too i was gonna say that's kind of the biggest thing right you're you're trying to go for this one shot but you need like a four-piece combo right you need the the raihan with the basic in play with the choice belt with another energy attached like it's it's a lot and like you said it can all just be shut down by the tool jammer yeah and tool jammer is was an amazing card as well over the course of the tournament um, so not really worried about the Zeraora at all, personally, if you have the Tool Jammer. The Raikou is, is obviously threatening. It can take those one-shots very easily. The problem with the Raikou, and the Pikachu fundamentally has the same problem, is that Palkia will return knockout that Raikou, mm -hmm. um, on that turn, actually. Palkia will pretty much always knock out the Raikou, Raikou on the turn that it attacked a Palkia, which means that now you've just traded two for two, basically. You've Raihond for a two for two, which is like not really worth it unless it's the very end of the game. But the problem is a lot of these decks that are relying on Raikou, they're not just, they're not able to trade with Palkia through the rest of the game. So it's not like they're keeping up, you know, so especially if you get ahead, you're staying ahead if they're relying on Raikou to trade. And if you, for some reason, are, are falling behind, they might not have repeated Raikou answers, is, it was my experience. So, you know, I was just tearing through those Raikus like it was nobody's business. So then the most, you know, the final, probably most dangerous of the counters is the Flying Pikachu. Flying Pikachu obviously has a lot of HP, which makes it less susceptible to being immediately knocked out. Flying Pikachu, in my opinion, has two main problems the first is that it's often paired with arceus and you know has that kind of especially the arceus v decks have both a, a little bit clunkier of a setup 
um, and they hit like a key number of bench Pokemon pretty much every game. And what I mean by that is if you're going first, especially versus an Arceus deck, but even if you go second, um, they'll often have to have two Pokemon in play on the bench. And that gets you to 200 base damage on the Palkia, the 160 plus the 40. Um, so that means with a choice belt, you're able to knock out an Arceus. I did this all the time going first versus Arceus decks, which I didn't go first very often this tournament, but whenever I did, I would just tear through those Arceuses like it was nobody's business. You know, I would Star Portal, I would put that Path of the Peak down and just boss Arceus, boss Arceus, boss Arceus. And they like couldn't even do anything at that point. You know, they're just, and they came and set up without the Arceus, like not just fundamentally with Trinity Nova, but without the Starbirth, they're not setting up their board in a way where it needs to be. Um, so that's one flaw of the Flying Pikachu. The other flaw, of course, I guess maybe there's three flaws. The other flaw is that it evolves from a pretty right. mediocre basic. Um, the only a thing very that, very weak V. I mean, 190 health on that flying Pikachu V can knock it out basic. with no bench Pokemon. Exactly. So it's a prime target, um, and just again, it's kind of like the Raikou, right? Where if you can just get ahead and keep bossing uh, the Pikachu that they're trying to set up, or you know, in in this case, like the Arceus as well, like you're gonna be on a trajectory. Yeah, for and honestly, like now we're talking about, there's probably four problems. The so the <laughs> so the first is that. It has to be kind of paired with Arceus to set up. Mm -hmm. The second is that the V, the basic V is very weak and able to be knocked out very easily. The third is that it evolves in the first place. So it has that extra turn of vulnerability. And the fourth is that it gives up three prizes after it evolves. So what I did all the time versus these flying Pikachu Arceus decks is I would knock out the Arceus pretty much right away. I could do that going first with a boss or I could do it going second with like Leon plays. And then I'm in a situation where I'm ahead. The flying Pikachu will come up and it might not even come up and take a knockout if I <laughs> knocked out their Arceus. But if I, in the event that it does, it'll come up and take the knockout on my Palkia. Very unlikely that I hit the numbers to one shot at that turn. Certainly it's within the realm of possibility depending on the setup. But you need um, their help. But yeah, they kind of like they kind of have to overbench, and I still would probably need a Leon and potentially quick shooting to get there. So more than likely, I just like hit the Pikachu for a substantial <laughs> amount of damage. They take another knockout. They go down to two prizes left. At that point, I can almost always clean up the Pikachu. Um, you know, it's impossible to avoid a two shot. <laughs> you know, so now, so either one of two things happens. If I'm confident they can't power up another Pikachu next turn, I just KO it with Palkia, um, and then I have game like pretty much guaranteed. If I think for some reason they can, you can swing with an Inteleon or a Greninja and either set up another Pikachu on the bench, or you can just knock it out and like put a little damage on another Pikachu or you know what have you with Inteleon. Mm -hmm. uh, and in some crazy games, you can also, with a combination of quick shooting and stuff, uh, because it gives up that three prizes, you can, like, boss the B-Barrel and knock it out with Inteleon and, like, snipe the Pikachu. I did that in multiple games um, where I just, that one extra prize that the Pikachu gave up was super relevant to me being able mm -hmm. to win in a much more streamlined fashion. Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, hitting 290, if they have a full bench, if you have a full bench, plus the choice belt, does 
leave you open to just pinging that last 20 damage with an Inteleon play. So it seems very smart. I, again, would have loved to see you streamed against that matchup uh, <laughs> so I could go back and review the VOD because the way that you talk about these matchups, I'm like, oh, you know, it it certainly seems like Arceus Pikachu of all the lightning counters feels the hardest to overcome. I did play a lightning-based Arceus deck. It had Raikou in it, but my games went kind of how you described, where I got up early, and then at the point at which Raikou could have made a difference, it just it didn't, right? Because I was already ahead. I already had yeah. the response to it. And I was able to, you know, overcome that pressure, um, if you could really even call it that, uh, from the Raikou. So um, I totally get that. Pikachu just seems scary. Yeah, it's usually you can just set up the math to get there. You have to be like creative sometimes about how you do it. But you know, usually with a combination of Greninja and quick shootings and Leons and choice belts um, and, you know, bosses, you can find a way to ultimately get there those matchups very cool so yeah lightning pokemon just not very good that's kind of the the moral of the story (laughs) one matchup that we found was pretty close to even in our testing and um i would say also played out fairly evenly in the tournament was the mew matchup i managed to beat a couple mews in day one of the tournament i there was one opponent that i know just you know, I knew from the start when he was discarding, um, you know, when he was discarding choice belts and he was discarding his damage modifiers, the power tablets, like from turn one, I was like, oh yeah, this is so free because if they can't knock out consistently your, um, you know, certainly your first Palkia V-Star, then they really have no shot. But um, the I played against another uh, Mew in day two that played it really well, um, played catcher and was able to, in both of their wins, gust up a Palkia V that was on the bench that I was preparing to attack with and knock it out. And that just set me behind just enough that I couldn't make the comeback. And, you know, I would get down to like one prize, but they would just have just enough to, to take the win. Um, I would say that it's a pretty 50, 50 matchup, but you also played against a Mew um, in your top eight match. Just walk us through that. I think, you know, the listeners would like to know kind of how top eight went and, what the result was obviously you didn't win but just kind of give it to us the the play-by-play and and some of the big turns there yeah um ultimately the the top eight match didn't pan out i did go 2-1-1 in series versus mew over the course of the tournament uh that one loss obviously being in top eight but i do think the matchup is incredibly close even despite like potentially favorable records in the tournament uh so in top eight Um, a lot of it came down to my openings weren't as explosive as I would have liked. And my opponent was able to conserve their modifiers very effectively. They never really had to awkwardly discard them or anything like that, which let them like really get through those Palkias without having to think about it too much. So game one, um, I remember checking my prizes in game one. I was really devastated because, Path and Roxanne and Tool Jammer were all prized, uh, which were all like really important resources that are basically there for the Mew matchup. <laughs> so um, that was like a really heartbreaking prize check. And I was able to mo- more or less keep pace, but um, at the end of that game, I just wasn't able to, you know, lock them down with the Roxanne Path. I ended up 
going for some like very aggressive bosses to try and take some prizes with the hopes of getting the Roxanne out of the prizes. And it ended up being like my second to last prize card. Um, so I just wasn't gonna see it by the time I needed it. Um, very rarely do you go down to exactly one prize card versus Mew. Usually you're like doing one, then then three more, then the last two. Mm-hmm. So that just didn't, didn't wasn't in the cards for me to play Roxanne that game. And my opponent was able to streamline their knockouts very effectively. Game two was pretty close, but I got a very solid Roxanne path off and was able just to get that extra attack to clean the game up. And game three, I had a very bad start. I went second and was only able to get one Pokemon, one Palkia down on turn one, which got swiftly knocked out. Um, Turn two, I was able to research and get two Palkias into play, and I did that. Um, and one of them got knocked out, of course. So the following turn, my opponent set two prizes left. I Roxanne and I Greninja to set up both the Mew Maxes in play for a knockout. And I get Path of the Peak in play. Pretty much everything you want. Um, I'm ready to start swinging for my last two knockouts. My opponent Crammermatics away. They're a battle VIP pass. It flips and flips and flips. Feels like an eternity. It lands on right on the uh, four <laughs> you know it's it's like just sticking up off the play map but i'm like that's obviously a four like right. it's not a re-roll situation but i right. wish it was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um you know and so he searches for his deck grabs his rose tower pops off um knocks out my active greninja and then just bosses for game and it was just like it was kind of a heartbreaker i i wish that there was more that I could have done there. Um, you know, I just I was off to such a slow start that I was just going to be inherently a leg down the rest of the game. And, you know, it felt like if I had my Roxanne in game one or if the Roxanne stuck in game three that I would have mm-hmm. won. But that's kind of how the Mew matchup goes. It's just like sometimes they just blow you out sometimes you blow them out and then the rest of the games come down to do they draw off roxanne it's in my experience at least yeah absolutely i completely agree there um we had you know my matchups were just really tough with the gus you know and and it was like okay if they flip heads on the the pokemon catcher then i just lose here or if they flip tails then i just win because they're knocking out a sobble or they're knocking out a rating greninja neither of which is particularly impactful in that matchup um i had to play my paths down early as well in a lot of my losses to mew any game that i lost with mew it was like i was researching and i had to play the path or like choose to discard it because i needed to use my star portal that turn so that was also kind of one way that you would lose the matchup is if you had yeah. to get rid of the path too early. Um, Cause again, that path Roxanne is not only a way to kind of close out the game if you're ahead, but it's also like your only comeback mechanic because if they can get up by two, three prizes, it can just really get out of control. So you need a way to kind of keep pace there. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily worth it to play multiple path. Like we talked about earlier in the cast, just having the counter stadium, you really don't want to get pathed yourself in most cases. So the one path is fine. You just need to manage those resources really well. And my losses against Mew, I just wasn't able to uh, keep the path around long enough. Yeah. I mean, it's just a super close matchup. Um, It can really go either way, especially like depending on the lists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously props to my opponent, Chris, he, 
He managed his resources exceptionally well. He was able to keep his power tablets for the swing turns when he needed them. Mm. And ultimately, he he got the win, and he deserved it because he was able to not only like navigate the matchup fairly well, but he was able to keep me from establishing the board state that I needed to. Yeah, so definitely congrats to, to Chris. Congrats as well to Braden and Connor for their uh, win and second place finish. We will be talking a little bit more about the decks from top eight in the second half of the cast. Yeah, so why don't we take a quick intermission for card of the day? Yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. All right, JW. So for the card of the day today, I do have a dex entry for you. Are you ready? Yes, I believe I am. I, Ex- I believe I am. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just pulling it up, man. Sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm, you know, used to like the instantaneous. We're living in days of instantaneous <sighs> gratification. So. Man, these zoomers. Um <laughs> All right. It gushes fire and poisonous gases from its nostrils. Its dung is an explosive substance and can be put to various uses. Gushes. <laughs> yeah, it'd be gushing for sure. And bro. Okay, I thought we were a family friendly cast. <laughs> what are you talking? It's okay to gush something. Um Can I get like two guesses? Sure. Okay. My first guess would be Heatran. <laughs> no. I don't does Heatran Dang. have nostrils? I, that's a really good question. In my brain, Heatran has nostrils. Mm. My second my, guess my brain Heatran has a whole human nose. My second guess <laughs> would be Heat More. <laughs> no, it's not Heat More either. But that Heat More is a better guess than Heatran, I think. Uh the Pokemon is actually Turtonator. Bro. Do you believe that? <laughs> the dung oh wait the dung, the dung is what it's explosive <laughs> it that it's actually is kind of crazy to me just referencing the dung straight up you know is that, that's got to be like the only pokemon card to talk about pokemon's excrement <laughs> i don't know if it ever made it onto a card i pulled the, i was looking through all of its dex entries and that was like the only one that didn't reference the explosive shell so I'm like the explosive shell is like a little too obvious um and I guess everything about Heran explodes, <laughs> including its dog. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> kind of messed it up. Um, anyway, so, or sorry, Turtonator. Turtonator, uh, yeah. So, Turtonator, and it, Turtonator does have a gigantic nostril. So, yes. that was maybe your hit. That so, yeah. Turtonator, the reason I chose Turtonator and the card that I chose is Turtonator GX, which I decided to go with this card because... The North American International Championships are coming up. JW shaking our head. And our good friend, Andrew Mahone, when he top-aided the first-ever North American International Championship, he did it with the Zorark Drampa deck. And as a fun inclusion, a nice little tech in his Zorark Drampa deck, he had a copy of Turtonator GX. So Turtonator GX is from the Guardians Rising expansion, I believe. And it is relatively mediocre. It does pretty good damage as a fire attacker, 160, and you discard two fires from it. But that is completely unusable in the context of the Zorak Drampa deck. Played zero fire energy and only one rainbow. So you really weren't going to be able to use that Turtonator's attack. Um, Instead, you went for the Shell Trap attack. So for two colorless energy, 
you do 20 damage, and during your opponent's next turn, if this Pokemon was damaged by your opponent's attack, you put 8 damage counters on the opponent's active Pokemon. What you mainly use this for is you'd put a Choice Band on the Turtonator GX to swing into Metagross, and they would then have to take that kind of recoil damage when you hit you. Uh, certainly there's other uses for it as well, but that was the primary one. It's just also kind of a, annoying to have to deal with the shell trap in the first place. Certainly. Uh, so, Certainly. fun inclusion. Andrew will, will defend it till the day he dies. <laughs> I don't know. Well, if... I, I, I will die on the hill that, yes, I agree that there needs to be kind of a basic that can apply some pressure, but I will die on the hill that Tauros GX is better than Turtonator GX in this I, situation. I would probably also think that Tauros is better because uh, you know, like instantly one-shot like the Rowlets and yes. uh, you know the Beldums and all that yes, kind of fun yes, stuff. Yes, because you're playing the uh, the double color list, so you attach it, you do 60 damage which, with its first attack, and then its GX attack actually it's has, it has the one-shot potential that the deck lacks, right? So Zorark is only going to hit for an amount of damage based on what your opponent has. Um, it has kind of a copy attack on the break that copies an attack that your opponent has. Has, but there's no real way to one-shot uh, any of your opponent's Pokemon unless they swing into your Tauros and then you can use its GX attack to do, I believe, 30 times the amount of damage counters on it. So, you know, if they attack into you for, you know, any amount of damage over, I don't know, say 60 damage or so, then you're one-shotting almost anything in play. So that, to me, felt like a much better card. And I played the Turtonator in the deck, and it was only until after that I realized... Oh my gosh, Tauros would have just been way better here in like 90% of my matchups. Certainly the fire weakness is good. Certainly, you know, that kind of recoil damage is uh, more like consistently uh, quote unquote bigger, but then they have the option to, you know, not attack you. Right. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I was not a part of your testing circle at the time, so I would have never included Turtonator GX in my deck in that moment. <laughs> And really, we're arguing about a bygone era, but uh, Turtonator made its debut in the top eight of the North American International Championship. So super, super cool. And he's just a, he's a fun fun little guy. He's a fun Pokemon. Yeah, absolutely. He got explosive turds, you know? Speaking of explosive turds. Hey. Let's, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about our sponsor, Manscaped. I feel like I feel like that's almost it has to be like a breach of contract or something to associate them with explosive. Okay, let's turns. let's start it again. Speaking of cool fun stuff. Yeah, very cool things. Let's talk about our sponsor and presenter of the Tag Team Pokemon podcast, Manscaped. Manscaped is the premier <laughs> grooming men's grooming um kind of company for all of your down there needs. Riley loves the underwear. We actually just got shipped a package, uh, what was it, last week? I wore yeah. the Manscaped boxers, the new ones, the 2.0 Manscaped boxers 2.0 at the Milwaukee Regional Championships and I day two. So, <laughs> you know, take that for what it's Correlations worth. Correlations there. We always kind of make these jokes about wearing the boxers and doing well, but it just continues to hold true. So I think after a certain point, we can confidently say that they are giving us the boost that we need. <laughs> Absolutely, JW. Manscaped products are seriously awesome, whether you're going with their product, with their <laughs> boxers, <laughs> products. I'm, I'm really on one today. Whether you're going with their boxers or any of their grooming products, they really got you covered. 
their lawnmower 4.0 is absolutely amazing 3.0 um and is great for all your down there hairs and making you feel nice and fresh you don't want to go to these pokemon tournaments especially the north american international championship feeling anything less than your best and the best way to feel your best is by taking care of yourself, which Manscaped's got you covered for. And the cool thing is, us over at Tag Team are working with Manscaped to make sure that you can get some awesome deals. So, if any of this has sounded appealing, be it the Boxers 2.0, or the Lawnmower, or the Weed Whacker, or any of their other awesome tools, make sure to head on over to Manscaped.com, that's M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com, and use code TAGTEAM, T-A-G-T-E-A-M, for not only 20% off, but also free shipping. This is the deal of a lifetime. You're <laughs> so well, make sure, well, maybe not a lifetime, but it's the deal that we provide as part of Manscaped, and <laughs> you're going to love using their products. I'm for, I'm for real on that. Well, I, I, you know, to be to be as candid as possible, I really love the packaging that this stuff comes in. It does feel sleek. It feels modern. Um, and yeah, it's just nice. It's like when I get the stuff in the mail from them, I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't regret getting the product. They're like, I don't regret the sponsor. Like, it's just such good uh, quality material. And I think, you know, I like it. You like it. I think you will as well there at home. So go to manscaped.com, code tag team. 20% off plus free shipping. That's tag team, manscaped.com, 20% off plus free shipping. Thank you so much to Manscaped for sponsoring the cast, and thank you to you all for checking them out. All right. Let's talk then about the North American International Championship. We've talked a lot about Palkia over the course of the day. I don't think we need to necessarily run the details too much home. And really at this point, if you're listening you should use this for more of like a probably a wide sweeping analysis of the meta as opposed to really digging deep into the details. You know, if you're if you're listening to this on Thursday when it premieres and you're and you need those intimate details, I'm sorry to tell you that it's maybe too late to fine tune those. Uh, but we did want to talk about some of the key decks heading into the meta game and what you can expect at the North American International Championship. So yeah, absolutely. why don't we just start from the top of the Milwaukee Regional Championship with the two finalist decks. We had Arceus, Duraludon, and Blissey as the two finalists. JW, what are your thoughts on these two decks? Well, I was really happy to see Blissey among the top two, just because I was saying it on the cast. I was like, you know, Blissey kind of feels like a good deck. I was testing it a little bit heading into the tournament. Every time I played it, it just felt very strong and there were some things that connor did to actually make the deck um better than the list that i was piloting but i was very confident that blissey was like a really solid choice i was telling people i was testing blissey i was telling people i was considering blissey um i said it on the cast here and i'm just happy that um blissey did end up making it to that final table because it's a cool deck honestly it's one of the more fun decks to play in this format though i will say because it did so well, it's going to lose a lot of that shock factor and a lot of that um, kind of, um, you know, unprepared factor, right? As soon as Miltank becomes a card that people have to be worried about, 
a lot of people will tech for it, and there will be a lot of people that will over tech for mill tank. You know, playing multiple canceling cologne or just you know doing things that they otherwise wouldn't do just to make sure they don't auto lose to a single mill tank. So, Blissey, very cool deck loses that surprise factor and i think that's going to keep it from doing well again at the north american international championships i mean obviously we'll probably see a handful in the day two but in terms of do i think blissey can win i i really don't think so because i think a lot of people will be accommodating for the mill tank yeah i i'm inclined to agree for the most part i do think the blissey deck is pretty good on its own two feet even without relying on mill tank sure um but i i do think that some of its matchups it really appreciates having the pressure that mill tank puts in the opponents to kind of burn through the resources more than anything uh to deal with the mill tank so if people are playing more convenient answers like the canceling cologne um, or playing decks that just can handle the mill tank inherently better then that obviously hurts Blissey, less so because they're getting the auto win with the wall, but more so because they're not forcing the opponent into awkward situations, which is what Blissey ultimately is trying to do. And the winning deck, piloted by Braden Elfert, the Arceus Duraludon, not really a deck that either of us saw winning. I figured that it might be one of the more popular Arceus variants, and it turned out that it was having a number of solid placements over the weekend. But uh, to win the tournament was not something that I really uh, pictured the Arceus Duraludon deck doing. Just because it really hasn't been on our radar, like yeah. personally, in our testing group for a long time. Um, ever since, really, you won with it, we've kind of dropped the deck as being <laughs> a viable option. And it's, you know, it, it just feels like one of those very... Average decks doesn't really do anything amazing, but you just got big boys and they be swinging. And sometimes when those boys be swinging, good things are going to happen. So uh, Braden was able to take that to a first place finish and just get over the sea of Palkia. One thing that I did say on the cast last week was that the Duraludon does have a good matchup into Palkia, um, which really shouldn't be overlooked. Again, I played against seven Palkia over the course of my tournament run. And I'm sure that Brayden also played against a number of Palkia and found uh, very favorable positions in those matchups. So that's kind of the saving grace, I think, for the Arceus Duraludon. I don't necessarily think that it's like a fantastic play for this upcoming tournament, but I would have said it wouldn't have been a fantastic play for Milwaukee and look what it did. Yeah, honestly, I think Arceus... Duraludon probably is a similar level of play that it is that it was for Milwaukee in NAIC because um, I don't think people are really going to change the way they're building their decks at all to deal with Arceus Duraludon. It feels like one of those decks that people just don't really respect or care about um, when they're considering their own deck choices. In my opinion, you know, certainly yeah. we didn't really respect Arceus Duraludon with our Palkia list, um, and you well. Could, I would say that I think because the Arceus Duraludon generally, from my perspective, has a very poor Mew matchup if they play the Echoing Horn. Yeah. And what we saw was that a lot of lists from Milwaukee and in the tournaments leading up to Milwaukee were cutting the Echoing Horn because, again, Duraludon wasn't a factor in any of the online tournaments for the most part. And so the Mew players were like, well, 
let's cut that card for a matchup that we rarely see to play another consistency card like a Trekking Shoes or a Rotom Phone or something like that. So we certainly saw that kind of shift away from the Mew decks from playing that Echoing Horn to be able to have a pretty easy, simple counter to Arceus Duraludon. Now, will that be the trend heading into NAIC? I mean, I don't have a Crystal Ball, but I would suspect that there will be an uptick to some degree in the amount of Echoing Horn that we see played from Mew decks. Will it be significant? That's kind of impossible to judge. I, I wouldn't say that it would be, you know, the standard anymore. Um, but I, I would guess maybe about half of the Mew players, you could expect to see an Echoing Horn now in their decks again. Yeah, that's fair. And I do think the Mew matchup is certainly a notable one. Um, also, like other Arceus decks, if they swing first, can get overwhelming relatively quickly. But you have really solid matchups against the Palkias and uh, some of the rogue decks out there that really rely on special energy. Mm -hmm. Certainly. So Arceus, Draladon, and Blissey, both okay decks heading into NEIC. I don't think there are ones that are really on the top of our radars to play. So let's talk about kind of some of the next decks down. We wrote down a bunch of decks heading into this session. So JW, I'll kind of leave it up to you as far as how you want to go for the next one that we talk about specifically. But we have Arceus and Talion, Palkia, Mew, Arceus, B-Barrel variants, particularly Pikachu, and Regigigas is some other decks to watch out for heading into NAIC. GW, which of those sticks out to you? Well, I was thinking immediately after Milwaukee about playing Mew and thinking that, okay, it has a 50-50 into Palkia, and maybe I could play even more damage modifiers to make them Palkia matchup just a little bit better so I can swing through their Palkias and be able to trade a little bit more evenly with those decks. So I was thinking about playing like a Leon or maybe even two in my Mew deck just to, again, reach those higher numbers to try to get through the Palkias that I would be sure to see at NAIC. Um, that didn't get too far. I didn't really consider Mew because I think that there's, you know, all, there's Path and, and Roxanne in the in the Palkia decks. That's always going to be tough to face. There's a lot of these Arceus decks playing heavy Path. That's going to be really rough to face. And then Duraludon is, you know, of course you can put an Echoing Horn there, but um, not a matchup that you necessarily, like, love playing against, right? They certainly can... Um, keep their keep the Pokemon out of the discard pile or, or get a quicker setup and and, and kind of uh, overwhelm me from there so that was you know my thought heading back from Milwaukee I was like oh maybe maybe Mew would be a good play and and certainly it's not a a bad play but I'm I'm not considering Mew at this point for the tournament yeah I I think I would consider Mew personally for slightly different reasons. I think Mew is a really good deck and probably still is a pretty solid spot in the metagame. My problem with Mew, and this kind of happened at UIC, is it felt like my wins, I had a lot of agency over how the games went. And in my losses, they felt completely out of my control. Mm. Um, because it always came down to like just path or some awkward... like I just had a clogged hand of six cards I couldn't play and nothing happened after that. Um, and I just prefer the way some of these other decks in the format feel. Even if they're not drawing as many cards as Mew, they have just engines that are built a little more reliably than Mew. Not that Mew doesn't draw cards reliably. I, I don't know exactly how to phrase what I'm saying, but Mew feels a lot about the order that your cards are drawn determines your entire game. And other decks, you kind of like decide what cards you draw, you know? Mm -hmm. Sure, 
Sure, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you you kind of hit on it a little bit earlier where um, in the Palkia matchups, you know, if you're drawing those power tablets early and you got to discard them with Grammomatic or Quick Ball or Ultra Ball or something like that, that's just, that's just a loss, pretty much, because you're not going to be able to get through those Palkia. You're going to have just such a rough time. So, yeah, I completely agree. It's It doesn't feel like you have a ton of agency, um, especially against these V-Stars where you need to conserve those power tablets. You need to conserve uh, your damage modifiers to make sure that you can get those numbers because they're, frankly, a little bit awkward for the Mew deck to hit. You know, Mew, I think, in, in the conception was... You know, maybe geared a little bit more towards hitting VMAXs. Obviously, when we had Urshfu and as more of a metagame presence, like that seems to be a very natural back and forth there. Into V Stars, trying to go through three of those boys with 280 health. Like you just don't have the damage modifiers to go through three fully. Like you're there's gonna be a turn unless you get all four of your fusion strike energy in play. Uh, but there's gonna be a turn where you're gonna have the two hit KO, and that's just the opening that a lot of these V Star decks need particularly Palkia, need to uh, try to mount a comeback. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take a look then at some of the other V-Star-related decks in Arceus. We have two main Arceus variants that people are playing anymore, a straightforward Arceus Inteleon and the Arceus B-Barrel type of decks, primarily those feature Pikachu these days. So Arceus Inteleon really hasn't changed over the course of the last format. Justin Kulas played a very similar list to his prior top eight list to a top four finish. Um, actually, he got top fours both times even. Uh, so top four at Milwaukee and at Secaucus with a very similar Arceus and Teleon list. You know, I think Arceus has just proven itself to just be a really reliable card. You know, if you can't KO it in one shot, then it's really going to abuse the abuse your deck for the rest of the game. Uh, so even like the Palkia decks can struggle to one shot an Arceus, especially with a big charm. And if they're able to heal, and they're going to heal more than Palkia can, because Palkia really doesn't heal outside of maybe a Cheryl, the Arceus decks are going to be in a good good position at that point. Yeah, it's amazing how much the Arceus deck, especially like the Arceus and Talion decks, can limit their bench um, to just the one Arceus in the active, and then one Sobble, until the turn that they need to get the other Arceus out. Um, then, you know, obviously they could have like a three, uh, three, uh, person, uh, or, or Pokemon, you know, uh, field of play. So uh, it really was in those Arceus matchups. I, I was amazed actually at how well the decks functioned with just one Sobble on the bench as kind of their entire draw. Um, it, uh, it was very scary as a Palkia player. And I think as uh, people play these Arceus decks, I, I don't see them having like a, a horrible matchup into Palkia. You just got to know how to finagle it. Yeah, absolutely. So the people who have been playing a lot of Arceus will likely be rewarded for continuing to stick with the deck and, and playing it reliably, especially I think those straightforward variants are just the way to do it. Because when you're trying to tech for these certain matchups, the Mew techs and the Palkia techs are just so fundamentally different in how they work. I and honestly those techs are detrimental in the opposite matchup <laughs> mm. you know like the hoopa and the moltres and all that is especially the moltres v is like useless versus palkia and on the flip side like the flying pikachu and the raikou is horrible versus mew so you know you're kind of in a catch-22 where you're better off just kind of playing a more streamlined arceus version yeah i completely agree let's talk a little bit about reggie's riley yeah, yeah. We brushed over Arceus Pikachu, but personally, I wouldn't play it, so... <laughs> yeah, so not even not even worth it. Uh, yeah, so Reggie's is kind of our, our big 
single prize deck heading into this format. It was actually incredibly popular in Milwaukee, which surprised me. It was like the third most popular deck by raw numbers. Um, now, some decks, I think, were split out by variance, so maybe a little bit skewed there, but I was impressed by how many people showed up. It didn't seem like they had a great conversion rate, though, into day two, and even into like the higher echelons of day two. Nick Moffat was, I believe, the highest placing Reggie at 10th place or so. So Reggie, of course, has that one prize X factor going for it where it can trade incredibly favorably in the matchups that it's looking for. I think the big fatal flaw of Reggie is its consistency, first and foremost. And also, there are some matchups where Reggie just goes down horrendous. You know, the Arceus and Talion matchup is not very good. You know, they can get that Dunsparce down and get that Manaphy down, and you're really compromised from there. The Palkia matchup can get sketchy if they set up too quickly and you can't deal with it. The uh, Arceus Duraldon matchup gets very sketchy. The Blissey matchup can even get awkward if they, you know, manage their bench well and have a Dunsparce in play at the right times. It just, I think it's a really good deck. I think it's the best single prize deck in the format right now. And it has an excellent Mew matchup, which is probably the, the best thing it has going for it. Mm-hmm. But it's a deck that I probably wouldn't play for similar reasons that I've always avoided playing one prize decks. And that's just, that's not super reliable. Yeah, you're going to be at the whim of whether or not you can draw into uh, the specific specific energy that you want in that specific turn, be it the double, uh, be it the twin, be it the Aurora, be it the speed lightning. I mean, there are just all these different energies that you're trying to manage. And uh, if you're not able to find those and power up the attacker that you want to attack with that turn, that's going to be tough. So we did see Nick get a top 16 finish with Reggie. I think he was, again, the highest-placing Reggie deck. But is it a deck that I'm considering for NAIC? No, largely because it kind of just feels like Mew, to be honest, where your draw is really just, you know, you have no agency over your game. Like, it's pretty straightforward deck to pilot. And if you're not getting the energy, the specific energy that you need in hand at the specific time, then you're, you know, you're, you're playing just a a horrendous deck um so there's really just no agency i can't like see myself making weird comeback plays for the most part um it's a deck that's that's really matchup dependent and really kind of luck based and that's that's tough i i'm inclined to agree so taking a step back then we've looked at these top decks what is your number one choice heading into the north american international championship as of recording this on wednesday well, I don't know if this is hubris from my tournament run in Milwaukee, but I would feel very confident playing Palkia into the field. I have no pressure. So, you know, I could play pretty much anything into this field. And, you know, if I lose early, like, I'm chilling because I actually have family in town this weekend. Um, But... <laughs> You always have family in town, actually. Uh, that's so true. That's so true. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Palkia is the deck that I feel like I can make the most cool plays with. It's the deck that can abuse Roxanne the best. And it's a deck that I have a lot of 
in-game playtime with. So I feel very comfortable on a lot of different fronts. Now, will I be playing straight Palkia? Will I be playing Palkia with some kind of twist or some kind of spin? Uh, you know, that I haven't quite decided yet. I mean, there is, um, you know, obviously like Ice Rider that you can play it with, um, something like what Frank Persick brought to Milwaukee. There is some argument to be made for Arita or at least like cross switchers like we saw from Isaiah Bradner's list uh, and, and the, the players that played uh, that archetype. So I think there's still a little bit more experimentation that I can do with Palkia. Will I have the time to do it? That is the biggest question. And so at this point, I think I'm, I'm pretty locked into something Palkia related. Yeah, I honestly feel very similarly. I would not feel bad even just running the same 60 or like same 59 again. Yeah, uh, it was it was good, man. I mean, I, I really don't want to say like, um, you know, oh, I had the perfect list, but I am always looking for the perfect list. And I think, you know, you are as well. But I do feel like we hit on some kind of core, um, I don't know, just core core idea, core build with that Palkia deck that I, I would say that, you know, running the same 60, like I would not be embarrassed if I had to do that, or I would not be feeling like I was putting myself in a compromising position or that I didn't, you know, test enough. Like it felt good for that event. And I'm sure that it'll feel good again for Columbus. Yeah. So Palkia is kind of the number one thing on tag teams radar heading into the North American international championship. Obviously that's going to be shared sentiment by many people heading into this tournament. So make sure you come prepared and if you see us at the North American International Championship, be sure to come say hello. We had a great time at Milwaukee meeting so many of you. It was awesome to get to say hello or sign cards or take pictures. You know, we're really open to talking to fans of the cast. Uh, so be sure to say hi. We'll, we'll be happy to meet you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was really fun in Milwaukee to just meet some of the fans and you know, I'm sure there will be more at NAIC with about double as many people coming into town. So uh, good luck to everybody that's preparing. And yeah, we can't wait to can't wait to meet you guys for some of the socials. If you want to get more plugged into the podcast, you can find the tag team Pokemon podcast Twitter at tag team Pokemon. You can also find myself at real John Walter on Twitter and Riley at smiles with Riles. We also record the podcast every single Wednesday. So if you want to catch it live at 9 30 PM Eastern time, you can head on over to twitch.tv slash Munner. I, myself, JW, I run a Twitch stream of my own twitch.tv slash flex daddy righteous. And you can get plugged in by following me over there as well. We thank you so much for listening to this cast and wish you the best of luck at the North American International Championship, unless you're playing one of us. Sorry, that's how it goes. <laughs> we will catch you on the next episode. Peace. See you.